to Maths Talk Tea Breaks by AMSI, where conversations in maths become part of your professional learning. My name's Leanne McMahon. Now, after a lively Twitter Maths Talk chat last night, I'm talking to Cass Lowry, AMSI Schools Outreach Officer and regular Twitter Maths Talk host extraordinaire about fluency in mathematics. Welcome to the program, Cass. Thanks, Leanne. I'm glad to be here. Now, Cass, fluency is something we hear about a great deal. In fact, it's one of the four proficiencies in the Australian curriculum. Yet last night's Twitter chat highlighted that there are some very different ideas about what it means. So can you tell us what does fluency mean in mathematics? Thanks, Leanne. I, I think uh, if we start with the ACARA definition, so ACARA talks about fluency being students being able to choose the appropriate procedure and to carry out procedures in a flexible and appropriate manner. And also the second part they talk about is being able to manipulate expressions to find other solutions. So it's not just about being able to apply procedures, it's about being able to choose the right procedure and sort of transfer that knowledge to other problems. And I think this is where the issues happen. Hmm. Now, often when people think about fluency, the first thing that comes to mind is speed. Can you just talk to me about that? So the problem with speed, and I think there's a great article by Joe Bowler that talks about fluency without fear. So there's, there is a link between procedural fluency and speed and being the quickest. And I think this often comes about through primary school, about fast fact challenges. And for some students, they love that. But for others, they really sort of, it builds maths anxiety. So if you don't know it straight away, um, you'd often be out. So this is the kind of thing around procedures and, and you know, when you're feeling panicked, even though you know the answer, seven, eight, oh, I know that one. When there's a panic situation, you think, oh, is it 54? Is it 56? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh. And by the time you've had that, you know, few seconds of doubt, the person next to you has already got the right answer. And then, you know, so you don't really get that time to, uh, to answer yeah. the question properly. And that old chestnut that the kids that actually need the practice go out first. <laughs> yes. So um, that was actually something that came up in the chat last night. So one of the, uh, one of the people in the chat used the phrase slop, oh, right? So slop. shed loads of practice, all right? Shed loads of practice. Shed loads of practice. <laughs> so that's one thing that students need, but it's not about, it's got to be the right type of practice. Mm -hmm. So it's not this drill and skill, standing up if you're out, you know, as fast as you can kind of practice. It's practice in other ways. It's a practice in context. It's practice practicing these facts through games, through activities, uh, through problems and things like that. So it is slop, sheds loads of practice, but it's the, it's the right kind of practice hmm. to really build that conceptual understanding of the tasks. Right. Well, Following on from that, last night in the chat, those terms, procedural fluency and conceptual understanding came up. Can you talk more about these ideas? Yeah, so we were fortunate last night to be joined by Kath Cartwright. So some of our New South Wales listeners may know her. She's one of the authors of this website, uh, Primary Learning, which has great maths resources. And it also maps, say, enriched tasks to the mm. New South Wales syllabus. It's definitely worth checking out. Oh, yes, that's gold, isn't it? Yes. So actually, Kath Cartwright has just written this new article, which is all about what she terms mathematical fluency. So she's sort of come up with this term that combines this idea of procedural knowledge, so procedural fluency, like learning how, how to do something, with this idea of conceptual understanding. So learning about 
how to uh, apply that knowledge to other situations. So to give a basic sort of example, knowing that three times four is 12, that's mm-hmm. procedural knowledge. Mm-hmm. But knowing what three times four looks like using materials, using an array, using groups of, knowing that if I know three times four, I can work out three times 40 or mm-hmm. I can work out three times eight, that's conceptual understanding. Procedural mm-hmm. understanding is just knowing the fact. Mm-hmm. So if we think about it in terms of reading, and I think literacy in some ways are, is ahead of mathematics in, in this regard. When we teach reading, we don't just teach what's called uh, barking at print. So we don't just have the kids read a book and they just say the words. We we'll ask them questions about the text. You know, it's okay. all about comprehension. And in mathematics, this conceptual understanding, this is the comprehension. So do you just know the fact? Do you just know the words? Or do you have comprehension of the fact? That's the conceptual understanding. That's what it means to be mathematically literate and have this mathematical fluency. So it's this all-encompassing term. But I think sometimes it's just what you said earlier. It's just linked with fluency means automatically recall. That's all it means. And that's not what it means. And I think we need to sort of shift teachers' understanding about that. I found that really interesting in the chat last night, how it was really fleshed out from that speed or automat- automaticity. Yeah, so there's a great webinar recently by Graham Fletcher. So at G Fletchy on Twitter, and he talks all about developing this conceptual knowledge by using context. So actually sort of linking the facts with visual representations and how that can help students. Kath Cartwright's article also talks about that. So she uses a number talk, which is actually a dot talk, and then has students sit in group and discuss what they see so to develop this conceptual understanding students need to develop their understanding of words and what does that mean and how does that look and describing it and I think sometimes in mathematics in all subjects you know teachers will always say this we're time poor so we sort of you know teachers often say that yeah so when the child says three times four twelve yep they've got it move on no problem But really, without that conceptual understanding, you then have to learn every fact. You don't notice that three times 40, oh, well, that's going to be 120 because I know what three times four is. You have to then learn three times 40. That's something else that you have to learn. And then then we can have this argument all about, you know, long-term memory and things like that and short-term memory. And the more things that we can sort of help us transfer our knowledge, that's what we want because we can't Um, remember everything. Joe Bollard has a great video uh, where she talks about compression, where you learn these facts, but in order to keep moving on in mathematics, they have to compress because you can't devote all of that cognitive load to remembering three times four equals 12. There's actually a great book that's just come out by Ollie Lovell, uh, all about cognitive load. It's I think it's on the Amazon top, top, top sellers at the moment. So I'll put a link to it. It's definitely oh, worth checking out. Great. Okay, so have you got some activities or resources that we can use to support fluency? So one of the resources that was mentioned a few times last night were these idea of number talks. Mm -hmm. So um, Dan Finkel, uh, his website has really good uh, descriptions and how-to guides. If you've not heard of number talks before, I would start with Dan Finkel's site. Also, Joe Bowler has some videos about number talks. So it's not just number talks as in numbers. You can do what's called dot talks, which is using images, pictures, and then move up to numbers and also um, fractions and fraction talks as well. So, Mm -hmm. but not just doing the number talk. 
So this is uh, this was another idea that came up last night. So some teachers go, all right, I'm just going to do number talks. Yep, yeah. I'm doing it. It's not just about that. It's about unpacking the ideas from the number talk. What are the strategies that students are using? What are the strategies that students are not using? Why aren't they using that strategy? What are the language? What language are students using to describe it? Is it very procedural? Is it like when I was in primary school, I remember my grade six teacher telling me, how do I divide by fractions? Flip it and multiply. Mm-mm. I have no idea what that means, right? And I didn't know until much later in my education why that procedure would work. I just knew flip it and multiply. Yes. Now, if you flip the first number and not the second, it actually doesn't work. <laughs> the procedure falls down. But that just shows that I'd never understood the procedure. I just thought, oh, you flip them, multiply, who cares? So, and that's that's the importance of being able to really unpack it. So number talks are a great strategy, but you really need to look at all the different strategies and listen to the language. Group tasks are also a good idea. So having working as a group so students can learn from each other. So not just doing the number talks individually. What are the other ways? Let's talk about it. Well, how many ways can this table think of, you know, and sort of putting it on the students and saying, let's find five ways and things like that. That's a really good idea. Uh, games. So any card games and there's a lot out there. There's open middle, um, Yohaku problems, another ones. So we'll put links to all these in the, yep. in the show notes. But it's just, it's opportunities where students are applying their fact knowledge to an activity. Mm -hmm. And so that really helps to engage the students because at some point they forget about they're practicing their facts and they're so focused on winning the game that they forget about practicing their facts. Like I often play a game called Roco, which is from Paul Swan. Mm -hmm. And I tell my students that I'm the world champion at Roco. And they really love the idea of beating Miss Lowry. So yeah. it sort of engages them in the game. They're not thinking about, but in order to win the game, you have to do a lot of addition uh-huh. so, or subtraction, mm-hmm. depending on how you play. But it's about sort of using, learning your facts in different ways mm-hmm. and practice. You can't yeah. learn mathematics without practicing mathematics. And doing a one-off activity once at the first week of term and not doing it again. These are things that we need to keep revisiting and um, obviously interleaving and retrieval, there's a lot of information out, out there about those things at the moment. Just sort of finding new ways to engage the students, but definitely not speedy number fact races. Okay. And, and be wary of online games that are also require speedy recall. Yes. Yep. Do you know what I love about you, Cass? You give us what to do, but you also tell us what not to do. And I think that's really important. Right back to our Catherine Attard episode where you have to be discerning in what you choose to do with your students. It's absolutely fantastic. And I, I look, and I know myself, like some students love the love the speed and and enjoy the challenge of getting as many as they can right in a minute or something. But that's not that's not for everyone. And also be wary that even if there's a skill, something that students are able to do, do they have that comprehension? Always go back to literacy. Think about mm-hmm. it in terms of literacy. Okay, the child can understands can solve the problem, but can they explain it to others? Can they understand that? One of the ideas that came up in last night's chat, actually from one of our ex-outreach officers, Vicky, uh-huh. she suggested the idea of having giving the children the problem, say um, a, a naked problem, so just the numbers, so mm-hmm. 17 times 5, and the students have to come up with the context. Okay. So it reversing so it. Don't, so if, don't come up with the answer, come up with the context. Con- 
where okay. would this context be? Where would you have 17 times five in real life? Where would you mm. see that? Mm. You know, um, can they come up with a context that makes sense? Right. So how could you do that? So I, I don't know, maybe with COVID, there's a, you know, there's table restrictions. There can only be five people sitting on a table or something. So how many, mm. you know, how many tables can we fit in the restaurant or something like that? That might be a real life example. And if students can come up with the context, that shows that they really understand the problem. Mm. Can they, can, mm. so you can start with the context and get them to write the problem or alternatively yeah. start with the problem and get to get them to come up with the context and what mm. other contexts where do we see three times four? Where do we see that in other situations? Is it just on tables? Is it in groups? Is it in bags of lollies or whatever the context is? Mm. Where do students see that? And I think that's interesting. So yeah. many rooms in their house. I, I'm not sure, but if they can make those connections and again, we do it a lot in literacy. We talk about making connections, text to self, uh, text to world, text to text. We can do mm. the same thing in mathematics. Where do you see this context related to you, related to the world, related to other things in mathematics? Because so obviously three times four is related to area. A rectangle with an area three by four, that's that's a related context. But I know that as a maths teacher, but do students know that as? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I must say I didn't, that, that didn't become obvious to me until I started teaching maths. That I knew that the formula the area of a rectangle is length, is length times, width. times width, but it never related to me no. as far as multiplication facts go. No, because multiplication facts were learned um, in one context, in one silo That's we talked right. about in mathematics, and area was taught in a different silo, and the connection hmm. between those two was was never really pointed out or if the teacher did point it out as a student I never picked it up so it wasn't sort of reaffirmed and revisited over time so I got that sort of foundation understanding yeah oh that's great so in the early years when you're building this fluency a great activity that we've I think we've talked about this before is about using the bead strings and getting the students to make their own bead strings and hold the bead strings and Something like that is, it's really good for fluency and it's also engaging as well for the students. So it sort of has a win-win in terms of uh, mathematics. Yes. Great. All right. Well, after all that, it seems like our tea break is over and it's time to get back to work. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us, Cass. No problems, Leanne. You've been listening to Maths Talk by AMSI. Cass has provided some accompanying episode notes and lots and lots of resources that will be available to download through our calculate.org.au website, as well as some links to the other related resources. You can follow us on Twitter at AMSI Schools or on Facebook by searching for Choose Maths. And don't forget to join our weekly Maths Talk Twitter chats at 8 o'clock Thursday nights, Sydney and Melbourne time. Just look for and follow the hashtag Maths Talk. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.